So the person we're going to talk about today was a king in his mind, but he was a madman for anyone else. Antoine de Tournans, proclaimed to be the king of Arcania and Patagonia, which are really significant regions in Southern America, particularly being home to indigenous people of that continent and the battlefield for a long-drawn war between the Chilean army controlled by the Spanish Empire and the native people of that land called the Mapuche people. But let's just go back to the start before he was called crazy by anyone and before he had these dreams of being king of the land. Antoine de Tournans was born in France. He was a Frenchman and his childhood was spent reading a lot of adventure novels at that time. He read a lot of novels in particular by Spanish authors called adventure novels and he wanted to explore the world. He fell ill with geography as his biographer called it. So he read these adventure novels and he read stories about the Arakanian region. So he read, read this novel called La Aracana and he wanted to go to Arakania because he was so inspired by that novel that he actually referred to the Mapuche people living in that area as Arakanian centaurs. Now a centaur is a is a creature in Greek mythology that is half man and half horse. So he has an upper body of a man, so a, a male face and torso and arms, but his lower body is of a horse. So the, he has a tail and horse legs, so he has four legs. But I don't know why he called these people the centaurs because they were clearly human people. But he did, and it was out of fascination and just sheer ignorance, I guess, that he wanted to go there so badly and explore that region and become its king. And after spending his entire childhood devouring these adventure novels, he finally decided to go there in person. And he was a lawyer, so he was really smart. He had his, he has, he clearly had an intellectual side. And when he landed there, he knew that he would not be able to convince the local people of his merit if he did not speak the language, if he did not look like the locals, and if he did not know how to communicate with the tribal leaders. So for two years after he landed in Chile, he landed in the port of Coquimbo. He spent his time learning Spanish, learning how to look like locals, so that is wearing a poncho and other traditional dresses, also learning the local dialect, and also learning how to communicate with tribal leaders. But these two years were really important for him because it gave him credibility as a person that the local people could trust, being a part of their tradition, or at least understanding how local traditions work. After spending all of this time learning the language, learning how to look like locals, and learning how to communicate, he also understood that he was in a really critical junction for the Mapuche tribe's history because they were at war with the Chilean Empire, and they had a ceasefire going on at this really historically significant river called the Biobio River in Chile. But they also recognized that the Chilean army was slowly increasing their numbers at this border and perhaps were preparing for an attack, actually. So they understood that they needed resources, they needed a leader, and they needed money, which most importantly, they did not have because everything was controlled by the Spanish Empire at that time, including trade. And if the Spanish Empire wanted their territory, one way that they actually accomplished this was by cutting out their economical resources and not allowing them to trade with other countries in the continent. Keeping all of this knowledge in mind, he started exchanging letters with Chief Manil of the Mapuche people and tried to convince him that 
under Christian law of that time, if a land was ruled by a Christian monarch, they could not be invaded or annexed. So what that meant was that if the Mapuche people were to designate Tunans as their chief, the Spanish Empire, by international law, could not invade that territory, which was a really good cop-out for the Mapuche people at that time because the invasion was imminent and Argentina and Chile were constantly upgrading their forces and their weaponry. So they saw this as potentially an opportunity to save their people from an invasion by Chile or Argentina. So then Chief Manil went to his people and he pleaded his case and he said, this guy can actually be our savior from this major problem that we have with the imminent invasion. And somehow he managed to convince his people, even though foreign rule was not preferred in the nation. But in 1860, Tunans designed a flag for his kingdom, which is green, white, and blue. And he crossed the Biobio River with the consent of the local leaders, according to sources. And he proclaimed himself King Antoine of Aracania and Patagonia. He also had a constitution. He was a lawyer, so he had the legal side down. And he also established a cabinet with Maniel's son as the Minister of Defense. So that was an incentive for Maniel to actually say yes to this also because he had, or at least his family had some say in how the country was governed. He also went all out with his induction, actually. He had four coronation ceremonies, four for one person. And he always told the Mapuche people the same thing, that now that you have me on your side, National and international law empowers you to become a nation and you can reach towards progress at a really steady pace and you will be safe now with me as your king. But this prosperity and steady pace of recovery that he talked about didn't last for that long. So he declared kingdom in 1860 and by 1861, word reached to Chile that this guy proclaimed himself to be king, and Saavedra, who was the governor of the Arauco province, which was on the north side of the Biobio River, got news of this, and he was lobbying the president to invade the south for a long time. But he knew that he could now use this new kingdom declaration as fuel to further his agenda. But before he could do that and actually launch a full-scale invasion, in 1862, really early on in January, Dieterrand's own guide ratted him out, and he told the Chilean authorities about his whereabouts, Mr. Juan Batista Rosales, and he was just dozing off under a pear tree like a normal person would, and people took him and hauled him before Saavedra, who put him under trial for disturbing peace and illegally entering indigenous territories. So he defended himself because he said that as a citizen of Aracanian Patagonia, he does not recognize Chilean laws. And their response to this was, okay, we're going to put you on the death penalty. Now, at this point, there's conflicting opinions of what happened. Some say that some benevolent merchants intervened and they saved his life and basically said, throw him to France. But most people say that he was declared insane by the court on his premises that he was making, uh, self-defending himself, obviously, as a lawyer. And he was sent back to France uh, on the first ferry home. But he took this defeat really, really positively, actually. He said, okay, I'm banned from Chile, but these aren't my own people. They don't understand where I'm coming from. And obviously, they have really a lot to lose politically and economically if they were to believe me and give me control of that kingdom. So he said, okay, I'm going to go back home. 
to France and there I'll get more support. Uh, and he was really optimistic when he returned there. He was handing out recruitment medals. So he's, he was handing out medals to people who believed in his idea. He was minting co- uh, coins and he was also commissioning an anthem. So he was doing all of this for his new country that he believed in and he called it the new France. So he wanted people from his homeland to believe in him and to accept it as their territory. But sadly, they too called him insane, which is, uh, that's tough luck, sort of how my life has been going lately. But at this point, he was out of money, he was out of (laughs) support, and he was being lampooned and called crazy from all directions, not just in Chile, but also in France. So he decided to go to the French government if the people weren't accepting him. And he made some inquiries, and they too call him insane. <laughs> so after all of this, he said, okay, I am just going to do this on my own if I have to. So in 1874, after trying repeatedly to get the French public and the French government on board with his idea of this new France that he had, he decided to go back to his kingdom, and this time with arms and ammunition. So his idea was to give arms and ammunitions to the local people there, and wage a war against Chile to get support for for the Mapuche people and finally get his kingdom. And he had support for, from some entrepreneurs in Europe, but he was traveling with a false passport. So he had a fake passport, obviously, because he was banned from an exile from Chile uh, after being called insane all of those years ago, uh, nearly 12 years ago before this point. So as soon as he landed on the port, so he landed at Bahia Blanca, which is on the Argentinian coast, he was recognized and he was deported back to France. And even though you can say that his idea of helping the Mapuche people become a free state and fight against the occupation that was happening at that time in Aracania was noble, it was for selfish causes at the end because he wanted to free the people as a means to an end, and that end was becoming king of Arcania, his lifelong dream since childhood. The Mapuche people were also not faring well at this time. Their population declined by 90%. They were facing massive famine, disease, displacement, and due to the war. And Savadera, the Chilean governor, was hailed as a hero because this was a triumph for him. He was pushing this almost his entire rule. He wanted to get this area, and now it looked like he finally had it. And since Tunans were was not there, and he could not get those arms and ammunitions to the Mapuche people, and this isn't to imply that if he actually did, they would win the war or repel the rebellion by the uh, not the rebellion by the but the invasion by the Chilean people. This is not to say that that would have happened, but maybe they would have had a fighting chance against the Chilean forces. But this just goes to show you that their trust in De Tunans was a sign of desperation and it didn't pay off for them because eventually he got no support from either side of Europe to recognize him as king of that land and save their save their indigenous populations by letting them stay there and having them take control of their own lands. So after coming back to France, De Tunans was poor because he spent all of that money on arms and ammunitions and traveling to get there. He was also childless because he was obsessed with being king, so he had no time for love or getting people to like him. And he tried to go there again. This guy has no quit in him. And fair play to him. So he tried again two years later, 
and he went back to South America. But on his way to Patagonia, people recognized him, and they robbed him, and they handed him over to the Chilean authorities. And he also fell ill and had to go through an operation to survive. So with all of that, he was not in any situation in terms of his health to continue this journey. So he had to return back to France again, where he died in 1878, two years later. And a lot of people say that with him died the dream of a free Arakanian and Patagonian state because it has no international recognition. And he was the only one who believed in the freedom of the people, even though it was for selfish purposes and he wanted to be king quite clearly. But no one after him in Europe or in South America recognized the Mapuche people who were sadly indigenous to that land. It was their land as actually it being their land. Which is kind of sad because in a complete reversal, if he actually did get support, they could have had a free state, which is what their descendants argue, some of them, to this day. A lot of people after him tried to claim to be the monarch of Arakanian Patagonia, but they're normally referred to as monarchs of fantasy because the kingdom, according to many international or almost all international lobbies, is has no legal existence and does never had any international recognition. And also these people have no blood relation to D2 nuns. So I actually don't know why they're claiming to be kings and queens if they do not have any relationship with the person who was the original king because that's normally how lineage works in monarchies. Five years after he died, the Chilean forces seized all of the Mapuche lands. And after that, Today, 1.5 million people from the Mapuche tribes live in Chile and around 200,000 in Argentina. Even though they're living in these countries, they haven't stopped fighting for the restitution of their lands, just like uh, ancestral people everywhere. And this often results in violence. And according to many local organizations and international organizations, such as Amnesty International in particular, has accused the Chilean government of abusing anti-terrorism laws and heavy-handed policing of Mapuche descent. So they've accused them of racist attitudes towards the indigenous people of that land. And this sort of reignited this debate of the legitimacy of this kingdom. And Adetunan's and ancestors till this day argue that the constitutions of Chile and Argentina say that they're inherited territories from Spain. But that does not include Arakanian Patagonia. So indeed, his assertion to the throne, his proclamation of being king, was true, and it should be recognized. But international support on these issues has been limited. And since this is a really local issue to that area, local media reporting has also been limited on this issue between the Chilean government and abusing their uh, police force to abused the Mapuche people. But his ancestors still pass the throne to each other and after one of them dies, they nominate another successor and his government in exile still exists in theory, even though it doesn't have any economic or political status. The people, especially this French publicist, Philippe Boiry, he's been fighting to get the Mapuche observer status in the UN's Economic and Social Council, which would be a huge win for the Mapuche people. But it doesn't look like that would happen 
even though I do think that if it does, the Mapuche people would be really lifted in their fight for a separate homeland. It's just interesting to see that if this one guy who was called crazy by everyone had gotten support, we could have had another country on the map that constitutes a large area of South America, and it would be a fair country, arguably, because it would be for the indigenous people there, the people who actually own the lands and were living there for thousands of years, potentially. But yeah, there you have it, a story of a really interesting person who wanted to be king for selfish reasons, but if he was successful, he could have saved an entire population of indigenous people as a side effect and given them a separate homeland, which eventually, you can argue, they would have been able to govern on their own independently. But the question of the week is that we know the story about the Mapuche people initially accepting him because they were in a desperate state seeing all of these powerful forces in Chile and Argentina. Do you think that you've made such a decision in your life where you were overly optimistic and not realistic about the outcomes of that decision and the consequences, but you went with it anyways, just because you had hope. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I also got a foam cover for my mic because I just realized that my heavy breathing in the last episode makes it seem like I'm going to have an asthma attack any second, which might happen because I actually do have asthma, but it wasn't the case in last episode. And so yeah, I got this cover. And hopefully for future episodes, I can use this cover more efficiently. But yeah, there you have it. I'll catch you guys next time.